Welcome to Drinks in the Library, the only library where drinks aren't just allowed, they are required. I'm your librarian host, Gigi Howard, and each episode I'll be interviewing a guest about a much-loved book that we will be pairing with a drink for you to enjoy along with us or consider for your next book club meetup. As always, stay curious and support your local library. pushing record right now it's running <laughs> all right let's go do you have an intro for this show well i um i am i do have an intro but i think i'm gonna have that pre-recorded and like just have it every time you you know listen to it, it's the same thing so you don't want to do like the professional podcast thing where we're just talking and it just rolls in like someone walked into the room and we were just here I mean, maybe it can. I think you can do both. Yeah. I, I th- as you are very well aware, I <laughs> I'm not like super sure what I'm doing. I and think you just lean into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So this is our inaugural episode of Drinks in the Library. Uh, very exciting. And I am being I'm joined for, for the first episode <laughs> with my husband, Bill Howard. Hi, everybody. Thank you for being here today, Bill. Um, as always, it's a pleasure whenever we spend our time together, which is most of our time. Which is 90% of our time. Yeah, yeah. And so um, with this podcast, we're going to always have a drink featured in each of these conversations. A lot of times it will be, you know, a drink that maybe is inspired by the book, or it could just be your personal favorite. And I want to ask you, which one did you go with? Well, initially I tried to find a drink inspired by the book. There is a drink called Hyperion, and it looked like it was going to cost roughly $200 to be able to make a glass of Hyperion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, we, this is a fancy podcast. It is a fancy <laughs> podcast, but, you know, th- th- there's something just effervescent and classic about a gin and fresca, mm. which we refer to as the girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, which it's, it's in a series of drinks, and I don't want to you know, spoil that for in case I come back and we do other episodes. All uh, your episodes will be fresca-based cocktails. Yeah, most of my life is a fresca-based cocktail. Um, but I think the girlfriend uh, is going to fit the book for today pretty well. Okay. Because uh, when I think of the girlfriend, I think of the future. Oh. And uh, the book I chose is Hyperion, which is by Dan Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, which is a... I don't want to say a commentary on the future. It is science fiction. Okay. I, I would say it's probably hard science fiction. It's a very dense read in relation to sci-fi. Right. Um, but all about the future and also being unstuck in time and traveling through time and various viewpoints through time. And if you have about four girlfriends, you too become <laughs> unstuck in time and traveling through your own timeline. <laughs> Wow, you really tied that together quite well. That's uh, my gift. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> uh, we're starting off strong here. So when you say it's set in the future, is it set on Earth? Where is it set? It's uh, at one point it's on Earth. So one of the to understand Hyperion, uh, to kind of take a look at it is it's a sci-fi version of Canterbury Tales, right? You have these pilgrims on their way. Uh, to, on, in a pilgrimage that we're not really sure what it's about once it's in, at the initial introduction. They're traveling together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the universe we're set in is that mankind, 
Earth has exploded at one point. It, the sun just kind of... This is where I'm a bad narrator, because I can't tell you... <laughs> I can't recall why the Earth's no longer there. Okay. But uh, Earth ended, but humanity has now occupied the entirety of the universe, called the head, head, hegemony? Hegemony? Mm. Hegemony? Uh, yeah, and it's all humans? We didn't find any other space? Ah, well, oh. that's the thing. Okay. Uh, we don't want to spoil the book too much, but... We have one character who is uh, our poet, uh, who was actually one of the original, who was on the original Earth, mm -hmm. and he was shot into space um, by his family, uh, <laughs> thinking that tough the, look for my guy. Well, you know, they're, they're, they decided to go down with the ship. Okay. Oh, okay. So that, got it. Got it. Yeah, and they uh, he was shot off into space. And the thing about this, kind of going into the weird time aspects of this book, is. He's from thousands of years ago, but when you travel in space, there's like a stasis component. So you're aging at different rates than everyone else. Like, mm. by the time he gets to where he's going, he's like 300 years old with the mind of like a 20-year-old, you know. Uh, but that kind of sets up like everyone's from different points in history as they go on this pilgrimage. Um, okay. It's giving me, um, what was that movie with... Um, the McConaughey, during his McConaissance. During the McConaissance, yeah. Yes, uh, uh, where he goes back. Interstellar. Interstellar, yeah. There, a, similar yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And hey, this was only, you know, 30 years before Interstellar. Ah, yeah. ahead of its time. Yeah, from the bygone era of 1989. Uh, yes, so it was ahead of its time. And so I guess part of this podcast, or what I want to focus on, is like the importance of stories and how they affect us. And, um, you know, we're in an era right now where the freedom to read is being challenged. And so I would like to talk to people about what, who were you when you read this book and where were you in your life that it impacted you? I was exhausted and also unstuck from time. Uh, <laughs> we had, you, you might recall, we had a child. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was involved in this. You were involved point. in this. <laughs> and, uh, you know... For anyone who who listens to this, who's had a kid, that first good year, mm -hmm. six months to a year, it's wonderful. It's <laughs> wonderful, especially with our child, who you know, I don't think has slept yet, and she's eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there's a weariness that you have, but also, you know, being up at three in the morning takes on a new meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, and this book was kind of in that same lane. It's like, it's a little surreal. The book's surreal. Mm -hmm. My life's surreal. Mm -hmm. There's this little thing that depends on me, and I would do anything for it, but I'm so tired. Yeah. Just like some of the characters in this book. Oh. <laughs> I, you're great at the segues. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so it was, uh, were you reading it at night while you are staying up with her some? Yeah, I was reading it at night. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I, I would read quite a few pages every night. It's it's the upside of this book too is even though it's like I think it's like five hundred fifty some odd pages, uh, because it's like Canterbury's Tales, you're broken up between different storylines. So there are there are breaks from the narrative, so it kind of you know, can segment it out pretty well. And for whatever reason too, during that time frame, I had never been a big fan of science fiction literature. Like, I hadn't, other than reading Kurt Vonnegut, which I think is on the, that's not really a hurt, a hard sci-fi right. um, pattern. So, like, this was me also exploring new mm -hmm. genres of literature for okay. myself, too. 
Yeah. Now, sci-fi, I feel like, and fantasy sometimes can overlap a little bit. And, I mean, would you read fantasy before that? Or, I mean, what were your genres that you connect with? I know you were, you introduced me to Vonnegut when we got together, so. Yeah, I, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. I read some fantasy. I, I wouldn't say that was a genre I was uh, very into. I definitely read, like, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and... Um, Wizard of Earthsea was one that I read when I was a lot younger. I mean, I read a lot of Kurt Vonnegut, a lot of Salinger. Just, like, all the books that would make you insufferable as a teenager were the ones I was reading. Okay. You know? Um, would you term, would you describe yourself as a teenager as insufferable? Who was that, Bill? Uh, he's a very opinionated, moody, uh-huh. kind of lonely guy. <laughs> he had strong opinions on music. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also it was like as teenagers too, and I think probably with literature and also with music, it's like you're all you're trying on a lot of different right. hats. Yeah. Right. Like I definitely went through like a phase with books where I was just slowly become a snob because that's what we do as teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. Like we get into something, then we become a snob about it. Mm -hmm. uh, except for those just like those beautiful Labrador people that kind mm -hmm. of enter everybody's life, who they get into something and they're just like, oh man, I'm happy you're here too. <laughs> but there's not a lot of those people. Right, and especially as teenagers. Especially as teenagers, because, like, I do think it's one of those things where it's like, we're all, since we're all trying on personalities, we don't notice that everyone else is trying that, too, and we just feel like everyone else has it. Right. right? And so, like, I think literature-wise, I never really fell into a, trying to tie it back, because we're going down a tangent, mm -hmm. but, like, I think literature-wise, I, I tried on a lot of different hats, mm -hmm. and, uh, so... I, I don't think I had a hard... I would just kind of flirt with a bunch of different genres. Mm -hmm. But, um, again, hard sci-fi, though, is not something I really spent a lot of time with. Like, it, it is kind of... It does strike me as interesting that, like, it was... I was probably, like... F yeah, this was my intro to hard sci-fi. So, you know, I was 32. Right. <laughs> you right. know? And so, somehow, I just jumped over that whole ship even though i like you know movies that were sci-fi television that was so that's who i was <laughs> <laughs> at that time okay and so when you were reading um hyperion so what pulled you in when you were reading it that you liked um i think there is some connection you can make uh to each one of the characters that is in this uh story but there's one uh, character in particular who is a scholar who is on this pilgrimage with everyone else who has a baby. Mm. And it's a very arduous journey he's on with this baby. And so there was the initial kind of drawing of like, oh, baby, why are you taking this baby on this arduous journey? Aww. And his story is almost, it's agonizing through the book. I don't want to. Are, are we a spoiler alert thing? I don't think we want spoilers I, to the yeah, story. I don't, I don't think this is about the spoiler. I, yeah. I do want people to get a good vibe for what it's about. Yeah, so I, the, the gist of his narrative is, uh, so he's traveling. This is a Sol Weintraub, who Ooh. he is on this journey as well. He is a scholar. His daughter had investigated the, this planet and the shrine they are going to see his daughter is Rachel. Rachel starts to age in reverse. So a lot of his narrative is him having memories of his daughter slowly forgetting him. Oh. So it was both kind of 
you know, that drew me in quite a bit. Also, I like a good world building as well. And so through these various stories, we're actually fleshing out a very complex world right. and universe. Yeah. Um, and it, in doing so, it, I don't know, I, I'm a sucker for that. That's why I read Game of Thrones. It's in well, Game of Thrones. That's not, that's not the cool way to... I read A Song of Ice and Fire yeah. uh, twice <laughs> um, because I like the world building. And I uh -huh. like being like... Oh, that's that sword that was made from a meteor, right? And that went down through the family through these many years. You know, like, I yeah. know, like knowing those little nuanced things. And yeah. There's a lot of that in Hyperion. Yeah. And you can get really into it. Like, there's people that who are in Game of Thrones that, like, collect all of the stuff. and. Hyperion does seem to latch onto a certain type of person who is into world building as well. Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to meet somebody who's, like just kind of into the book Hyperion because one it's 550 pages you committed right. to get through this we won't even go into there's a sequel that's yeah. another 500 and yeah. some odd pages I'll tell you for the book club that I do for our neighborhood I do try really hard to not pick anything over 300 pages because yeah. people complain <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so if you meet somebody who read Hyperion yeah and they finished it they're into the book Hyperion, but it's also what keeps it from being, I think, part of the larger zeitgeist as well, because mm -hmm. it is a dense read. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also, you know, I think it was uh, the Foundation series was considered unfilmable Hyperion because of you're perpetually in different parts of the universe, parts of time, yeah. different relationships with time. It was considered unfilmable as well. Um, although I think Ryan Reynolds owns the film rights to this. I think I tried to do a little research. I, think, I was going to say Will Smith, but maybe not Will Smith. <laughs> They're two very different people. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is uh, odd connection. I'm pretty sure Will Smith owns something that I read recently. but uh, I, I, I okay. hope he owns quite a few things, being yeah, Will Smith. Yeah. Okay, so Ryan Reynolds has the right to it. So maybe it will come out. I, I love adaptions. You and I have been watching um, the wool adaption. What is it called? Silo. Silo. And that's been really good. Yeah. That, that's a pretty true adaption. I, I would say Wool and Silo, like, that setting and that universe lends itself to filming a mm -hmm. little better than, say, Wool, especially b being that the Silo is, like, one set, mm -hmm. kind of lends itself. And it's a linear storyline, too. It's not jumping across characters and or across the galaxy and across time right. uh, as much. So, But, yeah, that's a... I love a good adaptation. I even like the bad adaptations sometimes, yeah. too. Did we... How did we settle on Dune? I actually... We might need to be careful. We might... People might come at us if we say anything negative about Dune. Yeah. People will fight you <laughs> yeah, over the book we Dune. We love Dune. <laughs> I, I do not. Um, but I recognize it's... Dune is... I, well, it's a good parallel, right? Like, mm -hmm. Dune is also another book that is hard sci-fi that um, I think people... Either, unlike Hyperion, you either love or hate Dune. Right. Um, to me, I think you love Dune if you read it as a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I'll say it better. Dune is like the band Sublime, right? right. If you're a teenager and you read Dune, you you had to love it. You, mm -hmm. you it's the only way to be a teenager. But mm -hmm. if you're an adult who loves Dune and you read it for the first time as an adult, mm -hmm. I I got some questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put your email in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> People can send in your questions. Yeah, send your questions. Uh, my email is 
President Joe Biden <laughs> at <laughs> White House Talk. Oh <laughs> uh, well, hey, maybe we will get an adaption. I would be down for it if we do. Yeah. So, um, now did you read? This is the first of a series. Did you read the other books? Yeah. So I, it's uh, the Hyperion Cantos. Mm. Again, we have a poet poet in our crew. Wow. Who uh, he's trying? He's writing his masterwork. Obviously, he's existed throughout the history of humanity, uh, or post-Earth humanity, but the Cantos is, there's, yeah, Hyperion, Fall of Hyperion, I did read, it also is good, uh, it's not as good as the first, still have not mustered up reading the other two books, because they are standalone too, you don't have to have read Hyperion or Fall of Hyperion to read Endemon, and uh, I'm a worst guest ever. Okay. Likely Fall of Endemon. Seems like Fall of Endemon. <laughs> if not, uh, we'll uh, fill and you in. in the again, show. if you, you hate mail can go to President <laughs> Joseph Biden. <laughs> At gmail.com. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so coming back to the story is, what would you say is like the vibe of the story? Is How is it arced? Is it? sad is it what's emotional uh, i think it depends on the, the the character that you're following they all have kind of a different arc um you definitely feel like you are at the end of something like you feel like you're approaching an apocalypse or something like there's a mystery aspect to this too where it's very uh, sparse with details and it just kind of like piecemeals them out to you throughout the story and throughout each cantos and sometimes you have to connect the dots between these characters like canterbury tales right. oh. um you, that you slowly see how they're intertwined in each other's life even though they have no clue okay. as to why they're intertwined in this way oh that's beautiful and so they are approaching this end point that Hey, it's the first of four books. Apparently, it's not tr a true endpoint, um, but to some degree, it is. Mm -hmm. um, so there's aspects of hope. There's aspects of desperation. Um, we have some characters that are just trying to find their way after, uh, you know, finding losing importance. You know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's all over the place. A little bit of when I used to rule the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Our uh, we have the warrior uh, character. Yeah, Colonel Fedman Kassad. Uh, he he's like this legendary hero. We're like heroes. That the events that made him a hero have now passed, and it's mm. you know there's a search for meaning and purpose. Um, there's also like the looming issue of you don't know what this character. They all reference this character called the Shrike. Mm, a good or bad guy. Well, or... he's the pain god. Oh, um, <laughs> All right. god of blades, I believe is All the term. Right. <laughs> but and there's a, they constantly are referencing a shrike cult on their their pilgrimage is actually to, uh, like this these time temples that the shrike, seems to occupy, mm -hmm. and also. Protect, it, it's not really hard. Throughout the book, it's hard to really ascertain is the shrike a truly good, bad, or just what is he mm -hmm. you know um mm -hmm. it, it even seems the people that have been obsessed with them that for their whole lives aren't really truly sure what the shrike is um i also want to ask you do you know well, i i did read a while up when we started talking about this about the author i think he's still alive today correct what do you know about him anything we talked about this just yesterday 
Okay. I'm absolutely terrible with authors. Okay. Like, I will follow a series of a book. I'll read, like, I happen to know Kurt Vonnegut's name just because I read, like, you know, ten books where his name was plastered on there. Um, but, I mean, but, you know, I often don't learn a lot. So, Dan Simmons couldn't tell you anything okay. about him. That What that says about me as a reader, I don't. Actually, I'm going to walk this out. I often don't want to know more about the people who created things because there is a there's the potential for it to sour yeah. the work that you're listening to, reading, watching. Right. And you know, I kind of want to have my own personal connection with this right. this right. story or thing. So it it is somewhat intentional some sometimes that I I just choose not to learn uh-huh. more about them. Other than like, yeah, I'll Oh, there's a book by the guy that wrote the other thing. I'll try that out. Right. Well, I think there's value to that. I mean, especially in the society where, you know, people dedicate their whole lives to somebody and then that person gets canceled. I mean, we're all imperfect. So sometimes it's best not to know your heroes. Yeah, but maybe I should pay more attention, though. Am I going to get canceled by accident? Because I'll be like, (laughs) man, I really love that book, Hyperion. And they'll be like... By, by that guy who committed that genocide? Like, the, the president of Lufatoria who murdered all of those people? I'd be like, yeah, oh, apparently it was great. Oh, my God. We're, gonna, <laughs> we're both going to get canceled in the first episode. Because we have no idea the backstory of the... <laughs> oh, this man. fella. Okay. Can- canceled by, connect- by association. Oh, uh, uh, Would well. this give us on a, like an insulation? <laughs> Or they're going to be like, didn't you notice that one po- the character was quite the... Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I thought that was the cautionary tale. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, well, um, fingers crossed that is not the case, but we'll see. Great series run on <laughs> Drinks in the Library. The library. <laughs> <laughs> one hit wonder. Uh, <laughs> all right, and so, all right, my last question. That would be quite impressive for only one episode of a podcast. <laughs> To become so big it ruined our lives. <laughs> and there were no other episodes. Is there a podcast like that where there's just one episode destroyed people's lives and then it just I mean because like Oh my god uh, I, I guess maybe that like Megan Markle <laughs> I mean that podcast only did like one episode, but I think other things She maybe, had like at least eight, I think. You think eight? I, 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 shocker, I did not follow it very closely. Yeah, for the record, we we're Meghan Markle mid supporters. I don't apologist? think we're, we're I'm not, not an apologist. No, no, we're not <laughs> apologist. Uh, she's fine. She's cool. I don't have anything against her. I don't I really have, have many opinions about. Yes, her. but she, you're right. She only had a few podcasts, and there are people with opinions about it. But mm. I enjoyed what I listened to. Well, w- w- see you at the top of the charts before <laughs> careers end. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon, Meg. <laughs> Get drinks with her, then I'll find <laughs> Oh, my gosh. All right, so I think the most important thing is about reading and um, is, you know, interacting with other people about the book is who would you recommend this for? Like, you already said world-building enthusiasts. Yeah, if you like a robust world uh, and a... Kind of a mystery. I mean, it's not a like a, a rote murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you like connecting a lot of dots, um, mm-hmm. it is very dense, though. If sci-fi is not your thing, I jumped off with this. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd jump off with it. I right. mean, like, the thing with... It does do one thing with sci-fi very well, where it doesn't spend a lot of time trying to explain why things work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I hate that for horror movies. I hate it for sci-fi. I hate it in any movie mm-hmm. where it's like, just put me in the world and I'll agree these things exist. But once you start trying to explain it, then it breaks the world because it's like, wait, that, that couldn't happen. You have to be willing to be immersed in a, a universe. That might sound absurd, but it, it it's internally consistent the way things operate. Okay. So... You have to like sci-fi. You have to, you know, you got to be a commitment person. You're going to be married to this book for quite a bit. Aww. Um, you know, <laughs> and that's me. <laughs> you know, yeah, take the ride. I mean, like, it, it's it's just incredibly interesting. It's, uh, but it is dense. You know, mm-hmm. if you're if you like a light, fluff, uh, more approachable book, like you know, like Harry Potter is very approachable, right? right? Like. The, the concepts are kind of put in front of you. It's not very dense. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, th- this might not be for you. Okay. You know, um, it, it it really is kind of hard sci-fi. Like, I would say, like, it's the TV show equivalent of, well, Foundation might be one. Or, you know, like, but also, you know, if you like paying attention to every single detail of what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's Bill, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. It would have been quite awkward for a podcast to take place in our home. Never, <laughs> never, never got invited. invited. <laughs> well, here, you know, if we keep going, I'm sure we'll see you again, and you can introduce us to your next <laughs> to the series. <laughs> yeah. I am a little, uh, you know, I'm I'm both excited and a little concerned about my devices listening to me that there are a series of fresca-based drinks out there now. <laughs> uh, I know we started it years ago. Well, I don't know if we. We started it for us, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like the telephone was invented by two people at the same time and one got patented earlier. Right. I guarantee you other people are like, you know what would go well with this, Jen? Fresca. Fresca. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine this was an isolated thing. But in our, in, in, here in Virginia, we like to think of ourselves as the forebears, the pioneers of Fresca-based alcohol. Right. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Here, cheers. Cheers. Ding. Thank you for spending some time with me and my guest for an episode of Drinks in the Library. For more information about the show, you can find us on Instagram at Drinks in the Library, on the World Wide Web, drinksinthelibrary.com, or shoot me an email at drinkspod at gmail.com. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.